fact that there is an office in the church given to serving elevates the various serving gifts and their value in the church. If you have not a teaching gift, but a serving gift, Christ, by elevating that gift to the point of an office, elevates its importance. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom will conclude his current series with part eight of Church Government, Monarchy, Anarchy, or Democracy. Throughout this series on the church's governance and leadership, we've looked at the biblical description of the elder's role. Today, Tom will examine the office and role of a deacon. Does the role of deacon differ greatly from that of an elder? Are there important similarities? Well, as Tom will show you, not everyone is called to teach, but all are called to serve, and yet some are called to serve in the role of deacon. As you consider the church's leadership, even though you may not be in leadership, the question remains, are you serving in the way that God has called you to serve? Keep that in mind as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. They are to be self-controlled. Remember, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit not controlled by something else. Nothing else dominates their life. And they're not to be fond of sordid gain. What does that mean? It means they're not greedy for money. This is very important, by the way. If they're going to be handling money, as apparently they did in the early church, then this quality would be absolutely crucial, that they would not be greedy for money. That's his character. But look at his doctrine, verse 9. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. There really are two parts of this qualification. The first is holding to the mystery of the faith. In other words, he embraces the revealed truth of the Christian faith. A deacon must embrace the body of Christian doctrine to serve as a deacon. He doesn't have to be a theologian, but he must embrace the revealed truth of the Christian faith. But there's a second part. Not only must he embrace it, must he hold to it, but he must do so with a clear conscience. This means that his life must be consistent with the doctrine that he holds. This man, who is qualified to serve as a deacon, sincerely tries to live in keeping with the faith he holds. In verse 10, we learn of his reputation. These men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Tested. Implied here is congregational affirmation that the man meets these qualifications. There is a period of time over which his faithfulness and his, quali his character qualifications are proved to the congregation and to the elders. It's tested. And then it says he has to be above reproach. This is the result of the careful evaluation. He's found to be, and this is a very close synonym to the word for elders, he's found to be without handles. There's nothing, somebody who wants to blame the gospel and to condemn Christ and condemn the church, there's nothing in his life they can grab onto and connect blame. He's above reproach. What about his family? Verse 12, deacons must be husbands of only one wife. Literally, they must be one woman men. Going to serve as deacons, one woman men. 
as we learned with elders, that means not only is, is there been a lengthy commitment to fidelity in a, in a single marriage to a single person, but it means they are pure in both body and mind. They are committed to their spouse in every sense. And they've proven a pattern of faithfulness of that over many years. Also related to family, they're to manage well their children and their entire household. Both their children and the household is a word that encompasses not only the the other people that would be part of a household, including um, extended family, including servants perhaps, but it would also include all of the operations of the household from finances and everything else. So here is a man who manages well the people he's responsible for as well as everything else that goes with running a household. Those are the qualifications. So you can see that these are to be spiritual men with unreproachable reputations. So what are they to do? What exactly is it the deacons are to do. Let's look at the duties of a deacon. The big picture is very simple. Historically, deacons have had the responsibility to administer and serve in some aspect of the affairs of the church. To administer and serve in some aspect of the affairs of the church. But Scripture nowhere directly states what their specific duties should be. And honestly, I think that's by design. I think the Holy Spirit obviously could have included that. But he chose not to. And I think the reason is, it's clear that there are to be special servants under the elders in the church, but I think there is latitude granted for each church to decide exactly what roles deacons should fill. They're servants. Servants respond to the need of the moment. And I think that's the idea of the deacons. God has gifted them in unique ways. What we have done here in our church is we've encouraged our deacons to serve under an elder in the area of his giftedness, leading ministries. And I think the, the Scripture grants us, the Holy Spirit has granted the elders of this church and the elders of every other church the responsibility and the privilege of designating exactly what the function and duties of deacons will be. While there's latitude, I do think we can learn something about their duties by examining two things. By examining the Scripture the qualifications, the circumstances, I should say, in Acts 6, in that prototype of deacons, and by the nature of the qualifications here in 1 Timothy 3, and then you throw church history in, and we come up with about six different functions or duties of elders. Again, the church, I don't think, is bound to these, but these are some that their, their responsibilities, some of what their responsibility could include. First of all, deacons have served in relief to and care for the needy of the church. You see that, in, again, the prototype in Acts 6. They were serving food to the widows. They were caring for the widows, distributing food to Greek widows in the Jerusalem church. Secondly, it can include oversight of specific ministries. In Acts 6, verse 3, it says, I want you, the, the uh, apostles rather, say, we want you to select seven men whom we will put in charge of this ministry. So the duties of deacons not only includes, can include relief to and care for the needy, but can also include oversight of specific ministries. It can include care for the church's finances, 
most commentators agree that the, the qualification, not fond of sordid gain or not greedy for money, is because they were caring for the finances of the church. That also makes sense of that Philippians 1.1 reference as well. Fourthly, they have in the history of the church cared for the church's property. This grows out, by the way, of that qualification, good managers of their households. Some have seen in that the foundation for making the deacons those responsible once the church had property. Of course, this wouldn't have been true in the first century. It would have been of perhaps uh, serving utensils and other things, but not of a building per se. But as church history went on, it included that. Support of the public worship. This is, by the way, now just historically in in church history, churches have assigned deacons not only to those four things, but also to the support of public worship. Various liturgical functions in churches that have more uh, sacerdotal, sacramental kinds of worship. And the administration of the ordinances. Essentially, caring for baptism and the Lord's table. I don't mean actually baptizing, but preparing people and helping them assisting in baptism. All right, so those are duties of deacons that deacons have had through the history of the church, and there's some of these implied and even stated in the New Testament. But as I said, the Scripture does not put the elders of this church or any other church in a box as to specifically the role that deacons will serve in. Now, there's another thing we need to deal with, and that is common misunderstandings about deacons, because there are some. The first is, and these are some that I grew up with, some would say that deacons are essentially a replacement for elders. In some churches, there is only one pastor, but the men on the deacon board really do the spiritual work of elders. In the New Testament, however, both their title and their implied duties are distinct from that of elders. So we're talking about two different offices. And as we saw in Philippi, a small church... There was both a plurality of elders who led the church and there was a plurality of deacons who served in the church under the direction of the elders. We aren't told exactly what the deacons in Philippi did, but again, the implication is perhaps that they were involved in the collection of funds, even for the gift for Paul, which would, of course, be missions, wouldn't it? A second thing that deacons are not meant to be is a board of trustees. Deacons are not to be a corporate board. That's a modern concept. They are to be servants. Totally different picture the Scripture gives us than the way some churches are established. Thirdly, they are not to be a police force to keep the pastor or elders in line. Unfortunately, because we have sort of the American democracy in mind of the, you know, the two houses of Congress keeping each other out of our pocketbooks, you know, maybe one of them will, will you know, keep the other straight, that's kind of how we tend to think about elders and deacons. Some churches have this sort of bi-parliamentary system, if you will, and the pastor serves as the prime minister. And that's not at all the biblical model. The elders are to be responsible for the church, and the deacons serve the church under the direction of the elders. Now, let me just comment on this one. There ought to be reasonable checks in place on the elders. The elders ought to be confronted if they're in sin. For example, just as an example of checks, I have absolutely nothing to do with touching any money that comes in in this church. I don't want to. Will not. That's a good thing. 
That's a reasonable check. But folks, if a church really thinks that the deacons need to police the pastor or the elders, what they really need to do is dump the pastor and the elders and get some they can respect. It's not the responsibility of the deacons to police the elders. This raises another question. What about deaconesses? While we're dealing with misunderstandings, this is an important question we need to answer. Some of you noticed, and hopefully you noticed, that I skipped verse 11 in 1 Timothy 3. I did that on purpose because I intended to come back to it. There's a great deal of disagreement over who the women are in verse 11. You'll notice you've got deacons in verse 8 and 9 and 10, and they're all men. Then you've got some women that show up in verse 11, and then you've got deacons again, and they're men in verses 12 and 13. So who are these women that show up in verse 11? Literally, by the way, it says women, as the New American Standard translates. That's a literal translation. could also be translated wives is a valid translation, but women is the word. There are primarily two views about who these women are. There are a couple of other views. I'm not going to give you all four, but the two primary views are that these women are deaconesses, female deacons. The other view is that they are simply the wives of deacons. So which is it? Well, let me give you the arguments, just so you understand, because it's not as simple as it may look on the face of it. Let me give you the arguments for deaconesses those who believe that these are female deacons in the church. First of all, they would say because of the repetition of likewise, this is a new group of leaders. Notice verse 8, deacons likewise, and then in verse 11, women likewise. They would say this notes a change in categories of leaders. So now you're dealing with another category of leaders. They would also argue that the absence of a pronoun, it doesn't say in verse 11, their wives, then it would be clear that it's the deacon's wives. It doesn't say that, so therefore there's reason to believe that, in fact, it's not the deacon's wives, but deaconesses. Uh, let me just comment on that. That is not an uncommon thing in Greek for there not to be a pronoun if there is a clear antecedent. Thirdly, they would say, what about Phoebe? I mean, haven't you read Romans 16? Phoebe is there called in the Greek text, a deacon, translated servant in our translation. Well, let me answer that as well. This word deacon is never used in the feminine form, which Greek would normally use to designate a female deacon. They would say, they would argue for deaconesses based on the absence of any mentions of elders' wives. Why would they, this is the argument, why would there be qualifications given for deacons' wives, but none for elders' wives? Therefore, these must not be qualifications for deacon's wives, it must be qualifications for another office. They would say, what about the testimony of church history? It is true that deaconesses appear in church history. The first mention of deaconesses comes in the third century in a document called the Didascalia, and it references deaconesses as assisting the sick, assisting in the baptism of women, and ministering to the needy. And then the First Council of Nicaea in 325 also refers to deaconesses. And there they say that they did not receive ordination and they were to be considered as part of the laity, as part of the congregation, not as part of the leadership of the church. So they are referenced in church history, but that's how they're referenced. Now the other argument, or the other viewpoint, I should say, is not deaconesses, not female deacons, but wives of deacons. Here are the arguments for that. There is a Greek word for deaconess, but it never appears in the New Testament. 
a pretty clear argument to me. You can tell where I'm leaning. Um, Secondly, there is no other example of the word deacon used of a woman holding an office. So Phoebe is probably not a deaconess, and our translation has it correct when it calls her a servant. Remember, it is a word that simply means servant. Verse 11 is sandwiched between verses about deacons. If it's a separate office, why didn't Paul finish with the deacons and then deal with the deaconesses? Why did he intersperse that verse in the middle of all the qualifications related to deacons? On the other hand, it is perfectly natural if verse 11 is describing the wives of deacons to put them there. Finally, when you look at how the word women that introduces verse 11 is used in its closest context here, it's translated or it refers to wives in both cases. In verse 2, must be the husband of one wife. But notice verse 11 says, women must be dignified, not malicious gossips, temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one, and here's the same word, wife or women as it could be translated, or woman rather as it could be translated. So, The context, the closest context of Paul's use of this word seems to dictate that these are wives, wives of deacons. Our church, as many of you know, if you've been here any time at all, believes, as I do, that these women in verse 11 are the wives of deacons and not female deacons. But there are other good churches and others that we love and appreciate who would disagree on that point. So it's not going to be a matter of contention. All right. So those are the deacons. What's the application to the rest of us? Most of you here aren't deacons. So what do you do with all this? Well, there actually are some huge points for each of us. First of all, the fact that there is an office in the church given to serving elevates the various serving gifts and their value in the church. If you have not a teaching gift, but a serving gift, Christ, by elevating that gift to the point of an office, elevates its importance. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter talks about the kinds of gifts. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says, As each one has received a special gift, talking about spiritual gifts, employ it in serving one another. We're all to serve one another, whatever kind of gift you have, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he takes the spiritual gifts and he divides them into two categories. I love this because it just simplifies everything. He says, listen, there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. So you have either a speaking gift or a serving gift or a combination of the two. And then he says, whoever speaks, if you've got a speaking gift, you are to speak as one who is speaking the very words of God, the oracles, the utterances of God. Every Sunday morning before I get up to teach, and sometimes on Sunday evening, I remind myself of this verse. I am to speak to you with the gift God has given me as one who speaks the very utterances or oracles of God. I'm not on trial when I stand up here. You and I both are on trial before the Word of God. Then he says, whoever serves. Here's the other category of gifts. You have a serving gift. You're to serve as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, as... He included an office for deacons, for servants. He elevated the value of service in the church. If you have a teaching gift, don't you dare undervalue the gift of those who serve. And if you have a serving gift, don't you dare 
envy and long for a teaching gift. God has elevated both to the highest degree in His church by granting an office to those who teach and an office to those who serve. Secondly, the role of deacon also highlights the role and the responsibility that we all have to serve. Just because you're not a deacon, you don't get out of this. This is the responsibility we all have. This word is used to describe the role and duty of Christian leaders in the New Testament. Matthew 23:11, Jesus talking to his apostles says, "The greatest among you shall be your servant." In 1 Corinthians 3:5, Paul says, "What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe." Those at the highest level of leadership are supposed to be servants. And not just those in leadership, every single Christian. And I won't take you there for time, but let me just remind you of the incredible example of our Lord on the night before His crucifixion when He punctuated the value of service as He took the towel and He washed the feet of His disciples. And then He says, this is the kind of service I want you to do toward one another. This is our responsibility. And finally... When you look at the role of deacon, the office of deacon helps us grasp that faithfully serving the Lord in His church, serving faithfully, brings the highest divine commendation. In other words, those who serve really are great in the kingdom of God and will be great in the kingdom of God. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 13. Here's how Paul finishes off his discussion about deacons. For those who have served well as deacons, not just serving, but serving well, that is, in the right way, commendably, those who have served well obtain for themselves two things, a high standing and great confidence. A high standing before God, I think, is the reference here, and great confidence before God. I think Here, Paul is saying the same thing Jesus said, and that is, they're great in the sight of God. You know, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Turn back to Mark 10. Mark 10. This is the parallel passage to the one I read earlier. Verse 41, the ten were indignant with James and John. Jesus calls them. He explains to them how Gentiles think of authority and greatness. And he says, that's not how I define greatness, verse 43. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Think about that for a moment. Just let that rattle around in your brain for a second. He didn't come as the King of the universe to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. You say, well, yeah, but that was in the days of Jesus' humiliation while He was here on earth. Yeah, but what does he tell his disciples that he intends to do in the future, in the kingdom? He said he himself will take on a towel and what? Serve us. So when we serve one another, we are merely reflecting our God in the person of Jesus Christ who faithfully serves us now as our intercessor and who will serve us literally in his kingdom. May God give us all the hearts of servants. That is true greatness in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part eight of Church Government, Monarchy, Anarchy, or Democracy. And that concludes our series. Tom, we'll have a new series for you next time, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, how about sharing a closing thought with us? You know, I would just say if you are a leader in a church, then you need to take this responsibility seriously and be faithful to what the Lord has assigned you to do in his church. If you're not a leader in the church, I would encourage you to pray for them, encourage them, support those who lead you, and allow them to do it, as Hebrews says, with joy. I would also remind you that even if you're not a leader, the particular character qualities that are laid out for leaders, those are really a goal for all of us, whether we're leaders or not. That's simply what it looks like to be mature in Christ. And so let those character qualities that describe the leaders in the church be the goal and ambition of your life, because ultimately, that's what it means to look like Jesus Christ. Thanks, Tom. Are you interested in attending the Master's Seminary? Countryside Bible Church is home to the Master's Seminary Dallas campus. Join Pastor Tom Pennington as he hosts the Master's Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, March 24th through the 27th at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in the church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.